Welcome to Leviton Contractor Connect. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. The opinions expressed by the guests do not necessarily represent the views or opinion of Leviton. Leviton does not make any representations or warranties with respect to the accuracy or applicability of the information. Hi, welcome to Leviton's Contractor Connect podcast series. My name is Tom Degden and I am the Contractor Channel Manager at Leviton Manufacturing. It's my pleasure to welcome Jim Smith to the podcast. Jim is a member of the New York City chapter of the IAEI and has great experience in the electrical field. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with the acronym IAEI, it stands for International Association of Electrical Inspectors. Jim works for Certified Electrical Inspections, and his title there is Chief Electrical Inspector. The purpose of today's podcast is to gain insight into what inspectors are looking for and how electrical contractors can stay in code compliance and avoid flagged inspections. So welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here, Tom. Can you give us a quick overview of your work, like uh, where you do inspections, how many annually, type of inspections, meaning residential, commercial, et cetera, and if uh, certified electrical inspections works privately or on behalf of a municipality? Sure. Uh, let me just start with the certified electrical inspectors, what they call a third-party agency which is approved by the local towns and villages to uh, do inspections in their uh, jurisdictions. Um, they don't work directly. We're not, we're not a government agency of any type. Uh, but most of the towns do not have their own electrical inspectors, so they depend on the third-party agencies. Um, I have a set area that I cover, uh, and any kind of work that goes on in that area, uh, whether it be industrial, commercial, or residential, I would be required to do the inspections on. So they, they vary. Uh, most of the inspections on Long Island tend to be residential, but there's quite a few uh, commercial and industrial uh, installations. I've done everything from hospitals to, uh, you know, sheds. So it covers, covers the full gamut. And, and as mentioned, you work in the uh, Long Island, New York area. Correct. Very good. Uh, probably average, I would say, between 8 and 10 inspections a day, depending on the wow. size of the inspection. You're a busy man. You know, in some days, you know, it might be an apartment building, so it might be, that might be the only inspection for that day. Hmm. Uh, but probably average, I would guess, around 2,000 a year. Very good. So at Levinson, we developed our Captain Code booklet. Our Captain Code program it includes a web page, mobile app. Uh, it all identifies changes that have made to the code from one cycle to the next. Do you have any other tips for contractors to gain good code intel? My my suggestion would be to join a local organization, such as SECA, which is Suffolk County Electrical Contractors Association, the NEL, which is Nassau Electric League, or the IEI, which you've already mentioned. All of these organizations normally have the inspectors at these meetings, so mm. it's a chance to be one-on-one -on -one with the inspector in a, in a very relaxed atmosphere. Uh, and... Uh, there's a lot of information there, especially because a lot of misinformation guys pick up with the mm. code at the counter or from another guy. You know, oh, I heard this guy told mm. me this or that. So yeah. uh, I think that would be the best suggestion I could offer. And that is a good suggestion. And those those uh, meetings that you just said, those are local here in Long Island. I'm sure, uh, we're a national podcast, so sure. but wherever you are, I mean, IAEI is national, but uh, right. I'm sure in every municipality there's some uh, Yeah, there's equivalent. usually some sort of contractors uh, association you can right. you know, join. And what I mentioned, our Captain Code, uh, if you wanted to get more information on it, uh, leviton.com slash Captain Code, and you can see all the Captain Code assets we have available there. So uh, next question, um, which is the fact that I study the code a bit myself, and uh, some code passages have me scratching my head. Uh, the next question uh, relates to that. First, Article 110.14D 
specifically started, I believe, in the 2017 NEC. It dictates that where a torque is indicated on equipment or instructions, a calibrated torque tool shall be used to achieve the indicated torque value. So my question to you, Jim, is uh, when you do an inspection, do you check for torque spec on equipment? And uh, do you pull out a calibrated torque tool every time you test or, or inspect the job, looking at switches, receptacles, breakers? I mean, it just sounds so broad and hard to enforce. Yeah, it, it is difficult. And uh, and just to you know reiterate, the torque values were always you know required in the code. Uh, it just became more specific in the 2017. Um, my approach to it is I do not follow them with a, with a torque wrench or a torque screwdriver. I make sure that they have one that they can show me that's out of the box and has mm. been used. Yeah, uh, yeah. If they're available on the site, I will show, they will follow their, their uh, show, make them show me a, a value that they've uh, you know, uh, done. Uh, but many times they're not on the site. So therefore, I would require paperwork from them showing me the torque values and the torque values that they, um, you know, were able to uh, uh, use. And this way, I have documentation saying that they mm -hmm. actually uh, used this torque uh, tools and also did the torque values. Right. One of the things I was most surprised about is there was testing done where they showed that of the uh, terminations, 60% uh, were too loose. 20% were over-tightened, and only 20% were done to the right value. <laughs> Interesting. And, and one thing that I've seen in the work is we all think of uh, under-torquing, uh, but I think today everybody's using those power screwdrivers. You know, over-torquing could be an issue. They're bearing down with that powerful screwdriver and is over-torquing. Sure, and, and damaging the conductors, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's switch gears here. Today I see a trend toward design, build, and electri electrical construction. Uh, does this complicate inspection? I mean, uh, do you look at plans, electrical or otherwise, uh, and compare them to what you're inspecting? And what happens if there's a deviation? All right. Because we're a third-party agency, we're really not involved in the plans review. That's actually done by the building departments. However, what I have found is uh, during the open wall inspections, um, especially there's a, there's a tendency now with the kitchen designs that they will uh, put the kitchen counter right up to a window and not leave any backsplash for receptacles. And I found, you know, telling the contractors that they're going to have to now put pop-up uh, type receptacles in the, in the counter and cut into the marble Ooh, or the boy. granite. And of course, the homeowner and the and the contractors are not busy, you know, not happy with that. So uh, that's why I like to point out at that the rough end stage, this is what you you know the situation you've created by the designer mm -hmm. having this window right down to the window, you know, the, the mm -hmm. countertop. So, okay. Next question: In most cases, who typically initiates an inspection? Is it the contractor or the homeowner slash facility manager? And does this influence the inspection? I mean. Uh, if a homeowner initiates and engages, is there any loyalty there? And maybe you offer suggestions for improvement, uh, like you just mentioned. Uh, and uh, if engaged by a contractor, is it more a nuts and bolts inspection? Or are all inspections the same, no matter who engages? Well, I, I approach the inspection much the same, whether it's a contractor or a homeowner. Uh, what I will look more closely at a homeowner's work, because obviously I don't know what kind of uh, you know background they have or what kind of uh, abilities they have. Um, but a contractor normally is the one who initiates uh, my inspections. Uh, on Long Island, homeowners are allowed to do their own work, so they are allowed to file for the work themselves, and they simply have to be code compliant. And I will point out to them, 
uh, like I said, at the open wall stage or the rough, what they call the rough inspection, um, anything deficits that I might see that they may want to change or point them towards the code book. I, I, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, um, a swampy situation where you don't want to get too deep into that because they'll say, well, you told me this, mm-hmm. and, you know, and then you find out that uh, they weren't code compliant. Mm-hmm. And good point. I mean, I did a renovation on my house uh, last couple of years, and I found the inspection the inspectors to be very helpful. They pointed out a lot of things that uh, I needed to address, and it, it was very uh, again helpful in the end. So, uh, anyway, uh, just a broad question here: Do you have any tips or suggestions to offer contractors for to be better prepared for electrical inspection? Sure. My number one tip to all <laughs> contractors is you know ask questions with of your inspector before you start the job. Uh, if you need to. Call up and make a site uh, appointment with the inspector. I always like to meet them on the site if there are questions. Um, what I found is if once once you go to the job and the job is not done correctly, now it's like, well, what do I do now? How do I fix this? And you know, I said, harder at that point. Sure, you could avoid <clears throat> this if you had contacted me earlier. And uh, like I said, especially an on-site inspection because. Sometimes over the phone, you know, something gets lost in translation and you get to the job and I say, well, you heard that, but that's not actually what I said. So um, so as a follow-up to that, uh, what is the most common mistake mistakes uh, installers make? Uh, could you give us a quick list or any sure. tips for installers to um, avoid making these mistakes? Probably the number one uh, violation that I see is whether from the largest contract to the smallest is not identifying the overcurrent devices. You know, I open the panel board, and there's no list of uh, there of what what each uh, one controls. Um, the ground rod has to be in contact with the earth for a minimum of eight feet. They always live sticking out of the ground a couple of inches, so that's always a, always been a violation. Um, mm. Pool bonding, some guy they still have a lot of problems with pool bonding. Um, con- applying uh, the two Article Two Fifty bonding and grounding. Uh, those are some other examples. And, and the tap rule, there's a lot of confusion about what the tap rule is and how it can be applied. Those are most of the ones that I see at a, you know, on a daily t- daily basis. Mm-hmm. And identifying the panel board, I know you it, you can't identify Johnny's room or you know Patty's exactly. room, right? Yes. It has to be. You know. <laughs> I always like to say, well, Johnny may move out, but uh, you know he may come back too. You know, so, uh, but yes. Okay. Next question. As mentioned, uh, sometimes the code can be interpreted differently by installers, inspectors, and even end users. Uh, you're on the front lines and tasked with enforcing the code and safety. What is the craziest job you've ever inspected, and have you ever had installers lose it over a failed inspection? Uh, actually, the probably the worst inspection <coughs> I ever did, I had a, a, a contractor. They put up a strip store, uh, 10 stores back-to-back. There were firewall down the middle. And they they put a service in each each one of the units, but they didn't put any firewalls up. So now not only did they not group the uh, service disconnects, the first one was 50 feet at least from the from the last one, but then they penetrated that firewall to the uh, the units behind it, so feeding one service through one building into another. And uh, when I got there, you know, again, if he had called me earlier. He says, well, how do I fix this now? I go, I don't know how you're going to fix this because, you know, you have to put up uh, demising walls. He goes, what if, what if somebody wants more than one unit? I go, well, you know, that's up mm-hmm. to them, but uh, that's how much I can do to help you on that. Mm-hmm. So he was pretty upset, as you can imagine. And he should have communicated with you earlier on, right? Of course, yeah. Hmm. Very good. <clears throat> so as a follow-up question, has anyone ever tried to get around a flagged inspection with questionable or 
maybe even the salacious offers? Well, the short answer is yes. Um, and what I found, uh, I was actually kind of shocked because early in my career, I've been doing this for 32 years. Uh, and when I first started as an inspector, um, I had somebody offer me money. And they, uh, you know, I said no. And luckily for me, word got around pretty quickly that, you know, I was not one of those guys. So, um, but yeah, unfortunately, that does a part of the existing problem with, uh, you know, inspections and contractors. So, I mean, it seems like it's not an easy job being an electrical inspector. you got to know a lot of uh, electrical ins and outs, and uh, sure. not, not an easy position you're in. One of the, one of the most difficult things for me to, as, I, as I became an inspector was not to pretend that I knew everything, to be able to say, well, I'm not sure. Let me call you. You know, let me look at the book, and, we'll, you know, I'll call you back. You know, a lot of uh, inspectors, you know, want to say, well, I'm all-powerful, and I know everything. And no one ever is going to know everything or be able to memorize this book. It's like that's a, a red flag to me. I sure. got to say, yeah, yeah. So uh, and and also the other thing I always try to emphasize: if your inspector says this this is a violation or this is not code compliant, what's the code section? If you can't give me the code section, how can it be a violation? So yeah, I mean, we do. Uh, I personally do some uh, code classes, you know, through Leviton uh, sure. to our customers, and you know, oftentimes get challenged. And, and uh, to your point, I just say, well, let, let's pull out the good book, and because yeah. you can't memorize that, and, and it changes from code cycle to code cycle, and uh, the, the the way it's written is very technically. You, you really need to study. And so, to your point, I always say, okay, you know, wh- where does it say that? Can you reference a code article? And most of the time, they can't. And hey, listen, you know, sometimes I'm wrong too. I, I I'm, I'm learning something every day. So. Yeah. And we also use terminology and phrasing in the, in the you know, in, in, in the tr- industry that's actually not in code, the code book. You know, we talk about NM cable as Romex or, you know, BX for armored cable. Uh, we talk about subpanels, which don't exist, don't, you know, appear in the code. So there's a lot of terminology and, and language we use in the trade that, uh, you know, some people say outlet and they think receptacle outlet. Well, outlet could be anywhere where they draw power. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of confusion there. So that's, that's one of the things I always tell guys, go to the definitions. You know, a lot of guys don't think they know, you know, the definitions just from being in the trade and, and they really don't. When I start to, you know, question them on it, you know, what is a dwelling unit? They really can't answer it. You know, so, uh, yeah, and it, it different, obviously it applies to different sections of the code to know what a dwelling unit is. Yeah, it's funny you, you mentioned definitions because sometimes you see definitions there. The kitchen, you like, who, who who doesn't know what a kitchen is? But the reason why they explain what a kitchen is is because sometimes contractors try to twist the meaning of the code to suit their own installation and typically to avoid doing something that's exactly. required in the code. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very specific. It's not, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, this concludes today's podcast. I'd like to thank Jim for joining us. Thank you, Jim. It's my pleasure. And we'll have to have you back on the, I mean, we could talk forever on this here. So, That's true. Uh, we'll have to have you back on the, the podcast again. And uh, thanks to our audience for logging in. Our podcasts are structured as a quick listen for our audience. We invite you to look for and listen to other podcasts archived at leviton.com slash contractor connect podcast. So bye for now. Take care, everybody. Leviton Contractor Connect is the online hub for busy electricians. Find installation videos, trainings, Leviton product information, podcasts, and more. Make Leviton Contractor Connect your new must-have tool and stay ahead of the competition today at leviton.com slash contractor connect. Attention electrical professionals. Join the Leviton Pro Rewards Program to start earning rewards for your smart product enrollment. Sign up today and receive 100 free bonus points. Visit my.leviton.com slash pro to get started.